This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. Welcome to Fine Tuning with Drew Taylor, your one-stop shop when it comes to animation news and commentary. I'm entertainment writer Jim Hill, and Mr. Taylor, whose writings on the industry you can regularly read over on The Wrap, and whose musings on the Mission Impossible movies you can now listen to on Light the Fuse, the official Mission Impossible podcast. Anyway, he and I are recording this week's show on Tuesday, August 22nd, 2023, which I know, I know, that's late for us, but, but there's a reason. Drew spent this past weekend dealing with Southern California's first tropical storm since 1939? Uh, yes, yes. Okay, and then in the middle of that, you guys got hit with a 5.1 earthquake centered in Ojai, right? Uh, northwest of, of L.A.? Yeah, yeah. If we had still been at Santa Barbara like we were a few weeks ago, we would have really felt it. But okay. as it was, it was very interesting because it was me and the dog mm-hmm. on the couch kind of looking at each other like, is the room shaking? <laughs> and then we got a, an emergency alert, which is the first time they've mm-hmm. ever I've ever gotten an emergency alert for a earthquake, but it was like in the middle of the earthquake. So it was a very, very odd, very wet day on Sunday. Yeah. I I am so sorry. And again, further contributing to us getting the show up late. This past weekend, I tried to get to the Disney 100, the exhibition down in Philly, but Drew, the traffic was so nightmarish, which I'm going to assume has something to do with that bridge issue that they had. Remember when the tanker truck ran into it and exploded? But we ended up uh, defaulting uh, and going to our secondary target, which was Allentown, PA, did a visit to Dorney Park. And I have since ordered a copy of the catalog for the Disney 100 exhibition off of eBay. So at least I can be conversational about the thing. And I will try to see it when it moves to Chicago or Kansas City. That's where it's supposed to go after that. But it's the exhibition is closing this coming weekend, August 27th. And on the very same day, the Leica a Life in uh, Stop Motion exhibit uh, at the Museum of the Moving Image in Queens, New York, also shuts down. And I, I know we mentioned that in the previous show. I just want to make sure people get the chance to see that. But speaking of Leica, did you see what happened with the Coraline re-release this past weekend? Yeah, it made a lot of money. A yeah, lot, a lot of money. especially for a fourteen-year-old film. Uh, what is it made? Four point nine million. And it, again, it only ran on two days. It was one of these fathom event things. And just in case it, you're wondering, that broke down to an average of three thousand dollars a screening. And given how strong Coraline did in North America, Fathom has decided to do some encore showings of Coraline. These will be held early next week on Monday, August 28th, and Tuesday, August 29th. And to further entice us all to come out, these screenings will feature new behind-the-scenes footage from the Leica archives and a return to the worlds of Coraline, explored through unique behind-the-scenes stories, key artifacts, puppets, and costumes. 
Also, on last week's show, Drew and I talked briefly about the other exhibit that celebrates at Animation Studio, the one that's currently at Seattle's Museum of Pop Culture, Leica Hidden Worlds. And that's there through August 31st, 2024. That said, I mentioned last week when we were talking about this exhibit that the 7,500 square foot exhibition had a section that touched on Wildwood, which is Leica's next stop motion project. Uh, That one won't be out in theaters till 2025. Since you and I last recorded, Drew, the folks at Leica reached out and and wanted to make sure that people who were headed to the MOPO, that, that, by the way, that's the cute little short name for the Museum of uh, Pop Culture out in Seattle, that they had realistic expectations when it came to the Wildwood section of the Leica Hidden Worlds exhibit. This part of the exhibit is the tiniest part and they, they start, that's because the release date is still at least 18 months away, maybe longer. And it features a piece of concept art, a couple of behind-the-scenes photos, and a partial listing of Wildwood's vocal cast, which includes Carrie Mulligan, Mahershala Ali, Angela Bassett, and Aquafina. So as long as you go into this exhibit, the likely hidden words thing, and understand that's as much of the Wildwoods you're going to see. But again, that one got underway March 18th of this year, and like I said, is expected to continue through August 31st, 2024. It makes me crazy that I know the exact date of when that's closing out in Seattle, but I don't have a time yet when the stateside version of the Disney 100 of the exhibition is going to open Chicago, or for that matter, when it, it moves to Kansas City. Now, Drew, I can tell you right now, when the European version of Disney 100, the exhibition, opens at the Excel in London, uh, that's October 13th of this year. And it's a similar set of artifacts and art. It's not an exact duplicate of, of what is on display in Philly. So it makes me a little crazy, again, with the why that info isn't out there. And speaking of info that's out there, I just wanted to remind our listeners that News portion of today's show is brought to you by Fine Tuning's newest sponsor, which is Turing Plan's own travel agency. So if you're thinking about heading back to the Walt Disney Resort in the not-so-distant future, these obviously knowledgeable folks can help you plan your dream vacation. They'll even toss in a free subscription to Turing Plan. So if you're planning on visiting Central Florida sometime soon, check them out at touringplans.com backslash travel. Okay, Drew, I'm now going to ask you about your email today. Did you get the press release about that nightmare book that hit store shelves today? No, I didn't get any press release. Tell me about it. Really? Okay. Yeah. Uh, It's called Tim Burton's Nightmare for Christmas Beyond Halloween Town, The Story, the Characters, and the Legacy. It's by an Emily Zemmler who wrote The Art and Making of Disney's Aladdin back in April of 2019. So this is the coffee table book for the live-action Guy Ritchie version of Aladdin, rather than the hand-drawn Ron and John version, which was released back in November of 92, which, by the way, was also supported by a book, John Kilhane's great Disney Aladdin, the making of an animated film. But this one literally hit store shelves today. And I guess what's a little concerning to me is this is... The second, and by the way, this one's coming from Epic Inc. Press release, which I'll forward to you, Drew, 
has a couple of sample pages that actually looks really great. But here's the thing. Friend of the show, Dave Bossert, has his own Nightmare Before Christmas book coming out. In fact, this one, Tim Burton's The Nightmare Before Christmas Visual Companion, commemorating 30 years, it hits store shelves five weeks from now on September 26th. And this one's from Disney Editions. And it's one of these things where, okay, the Disney Editions one is 224 pages. Mrs. Ms. Zemmler's book is 168 pages. On the other hand, Emily's book is 30 bucks, where Dave's is 50. I'm not sure who to. I don't read. even see Dave's on Amazon right now. Really? Okay. Yeah. Okay. I, I thought it was there earlier today. I mean, Jack and Sally are still crazy popular. I mean, did you see those pictures coming out of the early Mickey Not So Scary where people have paid 150 some odd dollars to get into that hard ticket party? And then had to stand in line for four and a half hours to get their pictures taken with Jack and Sally. And, and they were perfectly happy about it. I guess understanding that's how dedicated people are to Nightmare. There's an audience out there for the two books. But like I said, Drew, I'll, I'll send you the press release. The, the sample pages for Zembler's book make it look amazing. And Zembler, like Dave, knows her way around a making a book. Uh, she's done interviews with Burton all of the key animators, designers, that sort of thing. So should be well worth reading. You're making me want to write another art of book, Jim. I um, honestly hope that you do, because your book for Pixar's Onward really did a great job of, of taking you behind the scene in that Dan Scanlon movie. I should do that. You should we'll, do we'll, that. We'll, we'll, yeah, we'll see. We'll see. Yeah. Speaking, you know, again, we were just talking about UNLA and dealing with the, the hurricane. I, I think that's what they called it. I was wondering, in the past week or so, did you manage to make it over to the LCAP for the... They were doing screenings there from the 18th through the 24th of the new 4K of Cinderella. No, because I, as a longtime Disney Movie Club member... I've had this 4K for the past few months, so I have already watched it and, and loved it. Yeah. They supposedly debuted this, and, and this is the thing. They they went to the Library of Congress, they pulled the nitrate printout, and they used that to create this newly cleaned up version of the film. And, and it was the Diamond Edition back in 2012 when they, they finally brought out uh, Cinderella on Blu-ray, where they... They did something similar, but this is such evidently, I mean, the technology has evidently made so many advances that there's such an unnoticeable improvement in color. And it's kind of startling to see this finally the way I guess audiences saw it in theaters back in February of 1950. But they debuted it at the Berlin International Film Festival back in February. How soon after that, as a movie club member, were you able to get your hands on it? Oh, I think it was like a few weeks after. Like wow. it was it was really quick. And now it's going to be on Disney Plus later this week. That's as well. right. That's right. It yeah. drops on on the 25th and I think this is finally the tipping point for me. Also, let's not forget, you know, uh, Guillermo's, you know, cultural imperative about, you know, we have to buy physical copies of media now. But what else have you recently picked up from Movie Club? What, what else? If I sign up, and by the way, they're still allowing people to sign up for Movie Club? Oh, yeah, Jim. Get your, you know, 10 movies for a penny or whatever. They're okay. still still doing that. Okay. You know, 
I picked up Strange World on 4K, okay. which is the only way you can get it is from the movie club. I picked up, God, what are the some of the other things? You know, mm-hmm. Something Wicked This Way Comes mm-hmm. and Escape to Witch Mountain mm-hmm. and Escape from Witch Mountain. Or sorry, okay. Retur- Escape from Witch Mountain and Return to Witch Mountain. <laughs> All the kind of weird 60s stuff. Okay. Treasure of Maricombe. Mm-hmm. I have a, a Blu-ray of that now for some reason, Jim. So, Do you really? Yes. Wow. Uh, these are all the kind of I, – I love all the exclusive stuff. And also, if you collect regular Disney stuff, mm-hmm. all the new release stuff you can get for like $11 on 4K. So it's okay. like – it's a really great kind of service. Is Treasure McKembe, is that uh, – That's the one they that... partially filmed on No, Discovery I was about Island. to say. Yeah. I, I was about to say. In fact, that, that's what's so fascinating about it is if you're a big Disney theme park geek like I am – that's why you watch the movie. You look past yeah. the actors at Bay Lake and all right, where did they shoot this? But they didn't make available to movie club members Midnight Madness, did they? No, there was an Anchor Bay Midnight Madness that came out like okay. 15 years ago or something. Right. This shows you that I worked at a video store for 10 years during my formative <laughs> okay. years. But okay. Yeah, I- they have not made that available, but they did make like... Hmm. You know, they have three Caballeros on Blu-ray. That's the only place you can get it. Okay. There was a little controversy with Make My Music. I don't mm. know if you heard about this or not, where they, I think oh. it was that one, where they didn't include one of the... Uh, I know the Hatfields and the McCoys is the wrong name. Hatfields and the McCoys is the one they, yeah, they didn't yeah. include it. Yeah, because of all the gun violence and... Yes, and smoking. And smoking. And smoke. you know, yeah. and, uh, oh, wow, that's cool. That's cool. But yeah, th- I think it's a great service. I really get a lot out of it. And to be one of the first to have that, you know, Cinderella was okay. great. Because you'll remember, Jim, when they started putting them out on Blu-ray, there was mm-hmm. a little too much kind of like cleanup that they did oh, kind yeah. of post where everything was kind of smoothed away. Mm-hmm. This transfer is not like that. It feels like you walked into... You know, Radio City Music Hall in 1950, mm-hmm. and are watching it for the first time. So, yeah, it's really amazing. All right, all right, I'm told. Okay. 4K player. You need a 4K player. You need to sign up for the movie club. Okay. Okay. And yeah, Good. we'll do that. I, speaking of movies that I want to get my hands on, did you see where? And I want to say this is the Warner Archive Collection. How uh, next month? Cats don't dance. There we yes. go. Yes. The Mark Dindale. Yeah. I had just come back up to New England. This is after Michelle and I had separated and she had taken Alice 6,000 miles away. And I was miserable one afternoon and decided to go to the movies. I just needed to be cheered up. And so I went to go see Cats Don't Dance. And at this point, I owe Mark Dindale money. I had such a great time at the movie. Now, mind you, again, I was one of like five people in the theater because this did not do all that well uh, during its original release. But it's a wonderful after the fact that so many people have found this movie. And, uh, you know, it's just this flat out Valentine to Hollywood of the 1930s. And it's also really, really, really funny and, and got great songs and, and musical number, you know, dance numbers, actually. Isn't this the one that Gene Kelly consulted on? Yeah, I think so. He he did some animation stuff later in his career. I mean, he did like that stuff from Xanadu, which had the Don mm-hmm. Bluth animation did, as well. It did. Though if you ever catch his version of Jack and the Beanstalk, which he did with Hanna-Barbera, 
It was an hour-long television special, but there's, there's a couple of great dance numbers in that as well. But Oh, speaking of uh, Jack and the Beanstalk, we have to correct some of your reporting on this other oh show. This is why you should never veer into animation on, <laughs> okay. fine, on Disney Dish. All right. What did I get wrong? Well, the first person to actually work on a Jack and the Beanstalk story, even before Gigantic, was a filmmaker named Chris Buck, who I'm sure you are more than aware of. And some of that art, too. Remember, mm-hmm. it's in DDA's book that yep. the, they drew as they pleased, whatever, vol- volume six, I believe. Mm-hmm. But you can actually see some artwork from his version True. of Jack and the Beanstalk um, before Gigantic. And I, I think I've told this story on the show before, but in, I don't know, it must have been 2017. I was in New York. Mm-hmm. And I was walking past the Mandarin Oriental. I remember. Oh, please, please tell this story. Okay. <laughs> okay. And I'm just sort of like, I forget where I'm going, but I'm just standing there and I see, mm-hmm. you know, names on the town cars or yep. the SUVs outside. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, hmm, interesting. And mm-hmm. then all of a sudden, Byron Howard walks out mm-hmm. and the Lopez's walk out. Mm-hmm. And it's like, oh my God, they're having some kind of gigantic mm-hmm. confab in this hotel. Obviously, the results of that confab were not the best because I think shortly after they canceled the the movie. But I also still have a WDAS Mm -hmm. T-shirt from the Comic-Con where they showed that footage that has the logo for Gigantic on the back, which is just a beanstalk kind of going up. So anyway. I've got the button for it that they gave out at D23. and. Yes, you are correct. You know, Chris Buck did, in fact, work on an earlier version of Jack and the Beanstalk. And I apologize. It was, it was an editorial choice. It's like, I have to simplify the story. So I'm going to start it with the Nathan Grano pigeon. But what's so fascinating about that period when, when Lassiter and Ed Catmull come through the door one of the very first things they did is shut down production of both the Jack and the Beanstalk movie and the Rapunzel movie. And then over time, people came back to them and pitched them again with slightly different spins. And it's like, okay, we'll put these back in development. And the Snow Queen got killed during that same period. And what's interesting is if you go into the animation boards from 2007, 2008, 2009, and you watch the the animators in their bitching about, oh, my project got shut down, or, oh, they're they're retooling the frog princess, and they're cutting the character Maddie and all that sort of stuff. I mean, it's just, it's fascinating to read that stuff and then look at the finished films years later. But moving on here, did you see the, the news about how Elemental has done at the international box office now? Well, I know it is, like, the most popular movie in South Korea, like, ever. <laughs> well... Maybe since Aladdin in 2019, actually. But yeah, yeah. don't get me wrong. It's it's supposedly a very Korean story, and they've taken great pride in it, and they've embraced it. But yeah, you know, as of this past weekend, Elemental is the second highest grossing animated film for 2023 in the international market. It it just passed Spider-Man Across the Spider-Verse. It it has a a kid, mind you. We're talking. You know, you know, a couple of million here or there. I mean, uh, uh, 307 million, uh, 0.2 million versus the 305.9 million that Spider-Man 2 did. So, again, remember, it was just back on, on June 18th of this year where all the headlines were elemental worst 
you know, second worst opening in Pixar history. But now that this Peter Sound film is in the win column, obvious question is, are we going to see a sequel? And again, I know that's kind of a goofy thing to say, but I bring this up because I came across an interview that the Direct did with John Hoberg and Kat Lickle. They wrote the original screenplay for Elemental. And this was an interview that was done during the initial round of publicity uh, when they took folks up to Amoryville. It, it, you you took part in that, Drew, right? They actually weren't there. They did their own press. I believe the writer's strike was looming oh, or uh, had already it. enacted. So got you it. could actually go through their people, but you couldn't go through Pixar. So they were. Mm. this was not part of the long lead day, just to make sure. Yes, All go right. ahead. That's stand corrected. Okay, so and in their conversation with the direct, John and Kat talked about something that they'd initially written for the end of Peter Sam movie. And slight spoilers for, you know, about the end of Elemental. Well, it's on digital right now, Jim, so you can just download it after we get done with the show. Really? You can watch it, and we can all get your thoughts before oh, the next episode. cool, cool, yeah. cool, cool. All right, I'll do that. Yeah. All right, well, anyway, movie ends with Wade and Ember heading off on an adventure outside of Element City. And what Hoberg and Lickle initially wanted to do was go past that and add a post-credit scene, which would have showed Wade and Ember returning to Element City for a visit, where they then introduced their families to Wade and Ember's baby, which was made out of steam. And Kat's comment to the direct about this was, this was something I kept fighting for for a long time. And John then explained why Pixar officials eventually passed on the idea. That I think there was a feeling at the studio where eh, let's just leave some place for Wade and Ember to go. If, if audiences really respond to Elemental, eh, this would be a fun idea to, to maybe explore into the sequel. And speaking of sequels, we all already know about Frozen 3, but when we get back from this break... We're going to talk about what Walt Disney Animation Studios is now planning to do to expand this franchise by using, of all things, a podcast. I have to say, Drew, it, it's been interesting lately seeing some films suddenly get uh, getting a, a lot of love. Um, uh, for example, Speed Racer, which I was eight, and I remember... When uh, Boston UHF channel, uh, Channel 56, got Speed Racer, and I had gotten hooked on an anime with Kimba the Light, White Lion. They, they had been on the, that series had been on the same UHF channel a, a year or so later. So I just ate Speed Racer up. And now jump ahead to 2008, and we get the Wachowskis Speed Racer, and of course the, the the talented family behind the Matrix film series, and when the Wachowski said that they wanted to do a live action version of the series, which by the way, Hollywood have been trying to get going since as early as 1992, Warner Brothers quickly writes them a check for 120 million dollars, and a film gets shot over in Potsdam in Berlin from June to August of 2007 largely in, in front of green screens. And what ends up being delivered is this incredibly colorful, uh, action-packed sports comedy. But the world, I guess, at that time wasn't ready for the Wachowskis Speed Racer. The film only made $98 million worldwide in the late spring, early summer of 2008, and was kind of quickly written off as a candy-colored, hyperkinetic flop. 
did you get to see it when it, in theaters when it was first out? Oh, or? I saw Speed Racer. I, I saw Speed Racer multiple times. I thought it was from the beginning. I thought it was a misunderstood masterpiece. Mm-hmm. I loved everything they were doing. I had the Wii video game that really? came out. That was a lot like uh, yeah. It was it was very cool. It's. I, I, you can't play it anymore. I guess if you have a Wii and you have the game, you can play it. But okay. yeah, it, it, I I just thought what they were doing was so next level. Oh, I God. wrote a college paper about it. Did you really? Wow! Because of the way that mm-hmm. they use animation, because mm-hmm. everything in the movie is flat. Like they mm-hmm. shot everything separately mm-hmm. and composited it together with the same amount of exposure. So. If you were standing behind me in a shot in Speed Racer, you would be as exposed as I was, even though I'm closer to the camera, to create this kind of super flat look. So Mm -hmm. I think it's an amazing movie, and I think it's really interesting in the context of animation. Mm -hmm. But tell me how it's coming back, Jim. That's what I want to know. Fifteen years later, and now thanks to YouTube and TikTok... This Wachowski film can now be served up in in bite-sized pieces, which is how people are now rediscovering it and singing its praises. In fact, themed entertainment legend Dave Cobb recently described Speed Racer as kind of pouring a bag of Skittles straight into your eyes. That sort of sugar high coupled with the color. And just today, for example, I was watching the 10-minute end of the race which, by the way, is kind of a showcase for what exactly you described. I mean, whenever they cut to the people who are watching the race or commenting on speed, you know, and cutting away from the amazing, crazy race, they're flatter than flat. Now, that that final race is absolutely incredible because (sighs) he starts to warp the world around Mm -hmm. him. And Mm -hmm. it's just there's that shot where he's kind of sliding along the track and it's like it's almost like tie dye. You know, he's he's deforming the track as he's gliding by. I mean, it is so brilliant. Absolutely. So again, I just I, it, it just tickles me that people are now finding it and now appreciating it. And in a wizard way, this is sort of the same way I felt about uh, Scott Pilgrim versus the world, uh, the, that terrific Edgar Wright movie that came out in, in 2010, uh, which of course is big screen adaptation of the popular set of graphic novels. Uh, my daughter, Alice, was out visiting myself and Nancy summer of 2010, and she was the one who said, no, we're going to go to theaters, we're going to see this, which Universal released to theaters uh, August 13th of that year. And it was great fun. I mean, it had an amazing cast, a fun look. It also was, was surprisingly affordable. I, I want to say for a film that has as much effects work in it, that's used to comment on the, the live action and that sort of thing. They brought it in for like 65 to, depending on who you talk to, 85 million. Still didn't make any money, but neither, no, no, neither no. movie made any money. No, but, no, yeah. no, 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 not at all. You know, the, I want to say it only made 33 million here in the States of the 16 overseas, total of 49 million worldwide. So a flop. But, but now, 13 years later, Scott Pilgrim versus the world, beloved, it made me cinema classic a little strong. But has obviously there's so much affection out there that we're getting an animated continuation of that 2010 film. In fact, it shows up on Netflix in November, right? Yes, and mm-hmm. boy, I wish I could say more about this. Should oh. should someone on this podcast have seen it already? <laughs> that would be that would be amazing. But unfortunately, oh dear, you know. oh dear, Mr. Embargo again, eh? Mr. Uh, Embargo. But okay. I will say that I will say that fans are going to have a lot to chew on, and it mm. is talk about. Did you see this? Uh, 
I mean, the animation you saw in the trailer is just yeah, yeah, the, mind the, the, blowing. Yeah, and, and animation's being done by Science uh, Saru. And the two gentlemen who did the graphic novels, Leo Malley and Ben David Grabinski, are part of the team here, along with Edgar Wright. He's back. You know, the director yeah, of the I mean, ben, ben David didn't have anything to do with the comic. He is just a, you know, he's a, a uh, TV and film writer. But yeah, he mm-hmm. and Brian wrote all the new scripts. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they, I mean, it is it is a labor of love. Mm-hmm. And everyone from the movie came back to voice the characters, <laughs> which, which is, is just insane. No, no, no. I love that. I love that. So that debuts on Netflix November 17th of this year. And February 8th of this year, uh, as part of an earnings, uh, quarterly earnings call, we learned that Disney had sequels to Toy Story, Zootopia, and Frozen in the works. Now, mind you, we don't have word yet when Frozen 3 is supposed to arrive in theater. Uh, We did learn back on June 16th that Jennifer Lee will not be returning uh, as the co-director of the sequel. Yeah, I broke that story, Jim. Thank you very much. Well, yes. there we go. All right. <laughs> credit where credit is due. That's the <laughs> other interesting part of, of this where it's, it's a, an unnamed director pitched the story. Was that you as well? or No, no. We, I would name the director, Jim. Well, no, no, no. That's, <laughs> that, that's, I was kind of hoping you could. But uh, all right. Dang it. Okay. But anyway, to make sure that this franchise stays front of mind till Frozen 3 uh, arrives in theaters, the mouse revealed just today that Frozen will be returning as a podcast. And for me, Drew, what was fascinating about this were the creative partners. Trio of divisions at Disney are teaming up to do this. We have Disney Publishing Worldwide, we have ABC Audio, and then Walt Disney Animation Studios. And it's supposed to be a 12-part audio series, which will be entitled Frozen Forces of Nature, and is deliberately taking place in that period between when Frozen 2 ended and when the storyline of Frozen 3, whatever that is, begins. And just a reminder here, at the end of Frozen 2, Anna had just become the Queen of Arendelle, while Elsa is, has gone off and she is now the protector of the Enchanted Forest. And did you see the sort of paragraph tease of, of where the story is headed, that ABC audio Yeah, I couldn't, I couldn't make heads or tails of that. I thought, oh, they're introducing new characters Mm-hmm. That could be in the sequel or something. And I was like, okay, <sighs> sure, whatever you want. Okay, well, speaking of which, here is that paragraph, folks. This audio series follows Queen Anna, who has a lot on her plate. There are visitors to her kingdom, a friend in need, and even the Duke of Weaselton's nephew skulking about. So when the spirits of nature start acting up, she knows she has to solve the problem and fast before things get out of control. But when Anna and Elsa travel to the Enchanted Forest, they find mysterious copper machines that are disrupting the natural order of things. Who made these machines, and what are they doing in the forest? More importantly, how do Anna and Elsa stop them? And as you can see, Drew, is, is, <laughs> it's not incorrect. You know, that's... Uh, so, so robots are, are tearing up the Enchanted Forest now. Okay, no specific launch date for the series has been announced yet. There is just a listen in October tag 
as part of the Frozen Forces of Nature video trailer, which, by the way, uses a lot of art from the various Frozen 2 books that Walt Disney Publishing Worldwide used previously. And just another couple of things worth noting here. Original Frozen film will be celebrating its 10th anniversary this November. So anticipate that that will be part of the push here. Also, ABC's chief meteorologist, Ginger Z, is supposed to be a voice presenter on this audio series. So it's fair to assume that Good Morning America is going to be part of the, a big part of the promotional push for this project. And then finally, Liz Elise, uh, she's the VP of ABC Audio, uh, had this to say uh, about this project. Uh, this was featured in the press release that ABC Audio is thrilled to introduce the power of audio storytelling to a new generation through the Disney Frozen podcast. This immersive series, created in partnership with Disney Publishing Worldwide and Dis Walt Disney Animation Studios, taps into listeners' imaginations and offers parents an engaging, screen-free experience to share with their children. And I thought that was interesting, that the mention of the screen-free experience and the whole notion of, okay, so we're creating an audio story sort of keeps people engaged till Frozen 3 arrives. But has Disney done anything previous to this? I mean, I know that Marvel has done a couple of audio stories. Yeah, but noth nothing that is supposed to be a kind of bridge narrative between projects. Oh, that's an I mean, this does point. seem like something that was dreamed up in several conference rooms mm -hmm. after, <laughs> a, a, after a highly caffeinated day. But... I mean, maybe it'll be good. They they have suspiciously neglected to assign the voice cast, so I think that will that will make or break this project to me. It's like if you can get people back to do the voices, mm -hmm. and you can get decent people to do the new voices, then that'll be great. And if you can't, that's an excellent point. But I can feel the synergy, Jim. Can you feel the <laughs> the different business units communicating the Slack messages? The one-upsmanship. Oh, yes. We're going to get a meteorologist from ABC. Oh, oh. This is what this is what the boardrooms sound like at Disney uh, coming up I, with this. I can see why Disney Publishing Worldwide would, would have grabbed this with both hands. I mean, you know, the whole notion of we can get Frozen product out there ahead of Frozen 3. You know, I'm sure there will be books that support this audio series, you know, the, the, and, you know, they'll go the standard, the young adult version, the picture book, the, the golden book. They will all be all manner of revenue streams tied to this thing. Oh, yeah, I'm sure there'll be an anniversary collection like the Jurassic Park collection that mm -hmm. they put out this year. Makes um, sense. Makes sense. Yes. Uh, Frozen is a perennial Christmas time favorite, Jim, as you know, as I'm sure you've put it on on free form every time it's on. Just this weekend, as we were driving home from Pennsylvania and Nancy got on Spotify, and I don't know why she did this, but they it turns out they do a, a Josh Gad mix where you can get, you know, everything that Josh has ever sung. Mind you, it's Book of Mormon. Uh, it, it's, you know, both of the Frozen films. Central Park. Yeah, yeah. And we listened to it for about two and three hours. And they didn't play that great number uh, that time of year from the uh, the Frozen Ever After, Ever After Holiday special, 
which it's Josh and Top Form doing a patter song. But speaking of, of, of Top Form, again, you and Charles Hood have been killing it with the uh, Light the Fuse, the official Mission Impossible podcast. But I know it, it's been interesting lately because you, you need to get shows sort of signed off on by the nice folks at Paramount. So yes. what have they signed off on lately? <laughs> well, this week, this today that we're recording is our first Lauren Balf. Uh, episode and then our our second Lauren Balf episode is next week. This is obviously the composer of Fallout mm-hmm. and Mission Impossible: Dead Reckoning Part One, which is still I have to remind people, Jim, playing mm-hmm. exclusively in theaters. And what's great is we have access to actually play music and not get in trouble. So we do that in these episodes. So hopefully people will enjoy those. Cool, cool, cool. Okay, and. I know we bring this up every episode, uh, you know, because social media is just getting more and more interesting, especially over at X slash Twitter. So you are still there in some form, right? Yes, I am. Yeah, Drew tailored like a tailored shirt. And that's across every platform. Mm. Okay. So that's okay. on Threads. That's mm. on Blue Sky. I'm everywhere, Jim. I'm everywhere and I'm nowhere. Okay. I'm in this closet. I'm stuck in this closet recording podcasts is where, where I really am. Yes. <laughs> okay. Well, we're kind of in the same boat as Drew. I, you, know, you can still find me on Twitter, or send me X, and Instagram is Jim Hill Media, and then over on Facebook is Jim Hill Media News. And again, we have a couple other podcasts here. Uh, if you get a chance, we'd love you to, to, to give a try. We, of course, have... Disney Dish that I do with Len Testo. We have Marvelous Disney, which I do with Aaron Adams, who, by the way, also has his own Patreon project, 32nd Street, which shines a spotlight on Madison Avenue and is a lot of fun. Uh, and and then we have Looking at Lucasfilm with, with Brian Gahn. I think Ahsoka, Star Wars Ahsoka finally, just now, became available f- uh, for viewing on Disney+. Plus. So I think I, that's, I know what I'll be doing later this evening. It's very good. Is it? It's very good. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Okay. It's not um, It's not Andor, mm-hmm. but what is? Um, okay. But I think it's probably the best of the other live action Star Wars since maybe the first season of Mandalorian. Very wow. cleanly directed, good characters. I think you'll enjoy it. I can't wait to hear what you think. Wow, that's high praise. Oh, speaking of, of, of video related stuff, I want to remind uh, our, our listeners about... Len and Mine's new project, Disney Unpacked, uh, it's our first ever video series, which we're producing in collaboration with Jim Shul, who spent 30 plus years at Walt Disney Imagineering creating some of your favorite attractions for the parks. So things like Rock and Roller Coaster and Major's Junkyard Jamboree. Uh, we will be launching that show shortly. So if you don't want to miss out, uh, head on over to Disney Unpacked on YouTube and subscribe. And I think that's going to do it for this week, Drew. So thanks again for listening, and Mr. Taylor and I will be back soon.